On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about COVID. I know I don't want to as any more than you want to listen, but it appears in Europe anyway that the numbers are soaring again, which is causing great consternation and great concern. Are we really heading for a fourth wave? Really? We're going to talk to someone about that one. Also, Canadian television. If you look at the numbers, the ratings for what people watch in this country, it is not homemade fair. Why not? We're going to talk about it. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I can say with great certainty, great confidence, great assurance that the thing that I would like never to talk about ever, ever, ever again on this show or elsewhere, honestly, is COVID. Uh, like probably like you, I have reached about the end of my tether with this. I'm just done with it. And I think everybody would be on board with that. Probably we have reached the point where we say, let's try something else. And for moments, it looks like we may do that. And then all of a sudden we get put back in the position where numbers start going up and other news starts breaking around the world. And here we are again. Um, let me read you the headline, if I can find it here, the headline from a CBS News report, uh, WHO, World Health Organization, urges America to pay attention as surging COVID cases flood Europe's hospitals again. <sighs> yeah, let me bring in Dr. Karen Mossman. She is a professor of pathology and molecular medicine at McMaster University. She joins us now. Dr. Mossman, thank you for doing this again. I always appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Let me read you a paragraph or a sentence, I guess it is, from that same CBS report. Here's what they said. Europe has seen a jump of more than 50% in new coronavirus cases over the last month. And the World Health Organization has warned the continent could see another half million deaths by February. This sounds depressingly a lot like where we were six months ago, eight months ago, 12 months ago, 15 months ago. Unfortunately, that is correct. And it's, it, I, I do believe we all have to take notice. This is a global pandemic. So what happens in Europe will have an effect on what happens here. Um, in, in looking specifically at Germany, um, in, and especially in the region, for, for example, in the state of Saxony, where they really have the highest um, levels, um, recently, they only have about 55, 57% of their population that has been vaccinated. And they also are only now, my understanding is, starting to require people to be vaccinated to go into restaurants and bars and indoor facilities. And so, you know, I think it's that combination of, you know, opening up without having vaccination rates high enough, without having measures to, to ensure that you, you know, are, are preventing those really close contacts. And, you know, this is just until we get that vaccination level high worldwide, we're going to see this virus or variants, new variants of this virus continue, continue to spread. And I'm glad you mentioned Germany because that is one of the countries that this report that CBS points to and others, uh, that Germany is among the highest caseloads right now, which seems odd because, you know, they are one of the most industrialized and forward nations. And as you point out, maybe vaccines, not the same level, but 
we have pretty exceptional numbers in Ontario for vaccines. And yet even today, the Ontario government is announcing that it's slowing down some of its reopening plans because numbers are climbing again. It just, it, as I say, it, it seems like we're back in Groundhog Day. And then part of that is it's it's this time of the year, you know, things have opened up. Um, for example, at the university, the, you know, the university has opened back up. Um, more schools have opened back up. It's also the time of the year that the weather and the rain and the cold weather are driving people indoors um, into, again, closer quarters, closer contact. Um, and so it, it's just a, wh- a whole series um, of events where you bring more people closer together, particularly indoors. And it's, you know, and the virus continues to slowly evolve. That's what the virus does. Um, and, and we know that. And, and so it's the series of events that just compound on each other. Um, and, and we do see, fortunately, here we are seeing numbers go up, but we're not seeing the same level of hospitalizations and overwhelming of hospitals as they're seeing, for example, over in Germany where the mm. vaccination rates are low. So it is important to to make that distinguish between just numbers and and hospitalizations. So I think we have done a, a better job here. And I think that is reflective of our higher levels of vaccination. This is the this is the thing to me as as not a scientist, as someone who is trying to keep up with this stuff who looks at this and says, this is what depresses me or concerns me, because if this is happening, if this virus is morphing or evolving as it clearly is, and we're already three or four evolutions into this, because if we're at Delta, if you use the Greek alphabet, that's number four, um, won't it just continue to morph even if we find new vaccines or boosters or whatever? Won't it just continue to evolve and keep us on our heels? So when you think about the virus evolving, it's math. All viruses have a very specific mutation rate, which is really, really, really low. So it's a very rare event. But the more virus you have circulating, the greater that probability that that event will happen. And so this is one of the really important aspects of of being vaccinated. So even though we understand that, you know, these vaccines don't 100% prevent you from becoming infected, it does lower your chance of being infected and it lowers the ability of the virus to replicate. So even though, you know, there is, the virus will always be um, be changing, but at a very, very low rate. And so when you are in, countries where you have no ability to to lower that rate so through vaccination so countries where they haven't had like a lot of third world countries where it's a vaccine supply issue or other countries where you know the virus is still replicating to a great extent in a large number of people because they choose not to be vaccinated the chance of a mutation occurring and 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 forming a new variant increases so this becomes a really important aspect of of being vaccinated as well is the likelihood of of you getting infected is lower but even the likelihood or the level of the virus replication is lower so those events continue to be very very rare events Mm. and so 
And with the vaccination, you you have some protection. The virus, these changes are subtle or smaller changes. And so we know that you might not be fully protected against a new variant, but you will still have some protection. Um, Similar to when you get your influenza Mm -hmm. vaccine every year, if the virus changes a bit, you might not be fully protected against the new strain of influenza. But if you've been vaccinated every year prior, you will build up some level of immunity and so that you are maybe not fully protected, but you're better protected. Can can anybody's, sorry, can anybody's body though be a host to a morphing virus? I don't know if I'm asking the question right, but if the virus, let's say you and I and five other people all got the virus, are we all possible hosts to that morphing virus? Or is there something in a person's biology that would make, that one person would cause that virus to morph and the other people it wouldn't? No. So when the virus replicates, it, it just has a, it, it, it's always randomly occurring mutations. Many of, and, and that has, that's just the way the virus works. That's just more of a mechanical, the way the virus replicates, it has a very specific mutation rate and it's mutating at that very specific rate. Okay. Now, many of those mutations don't change the virus at all. They're very, very small mutations. The virus doesn't change at all. In some cases, it's actually a bad change for the virus and it will kill off that particular virus. But it's only in that rare instance that you actually have a change to the virus that gives it an advantage. And so that's where we start to see those viruses now surfacing because for, and it's a random, a random mutation that just happens to give that virus an advantage. But the actual mutation, it's it's a very rare event. So if Again, if you are protected and your level of infection is really, really low because you have that built-in protection, either because you've been naturally infected previously or you've been vaccinated, the chance of that occurring, because it is a rare event, just decreases. But it's a mechanical thing with the virus that it just has a mutation rate and it's, it's, it's constantly at this low level undergoing mutations. So we only have a couple of minutes here, but so even in Ontario, let's say, or Canada, where we have a high vaccine rate right now, not everybody, but a high rate, as long as there are people around the world who aren't doing this, it doesn't matter really then how much vaccine we take here, the virus is going to continue to find hosts and the virus is going to continue to change and evolve and move into and mutate into different ways so that that means it comes back then here that we're going to be facing more deltas and more whatever else down the road. It seems inevitable that this is not, even if we're fully vaccinated, we're still going to be dealing with this. Correct. And this is why, you know, it becomes really important and a lot of governments and the WHO are really looking at the equity of of vaccine supply and you know, it, the pandemic is not going to be over until everyone has access and everyone becomes vaccinated. Now, we might be better protected, so the chance of getting infected decreases significantly, but because it's it's a global and people move around the world and, and it's a global um, economy, this is not going to go away until all of those countries have access mm. to um, to vaccines. 
Uh, as I say, if I'm following the Greek alphabet, we're at Delta, which is um, which is number four. But I'm 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 now thinking, oh boy, when do we hear about epsilon or zeta or eta or theta or iota or <laughs> who who knows which one we get to eventually that we're all upset about? But yeah, it's it's very exciting and happy news, isn't it? All of it, not really. Well, it's <laughs> it's, it, it's it what keeps, it is. It keeps people like me um, um, employed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find something else for you to do if you can figure some other way and get rid of this one. Uh, that would be but lovely. we do, yeah, we do appreciate what you do, and we do appreciate when you take time to talk to us, Dr. Karen Mossman from McMaster. Thank you for this. Thanks so much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, so I was reading my next guest's website uh, today, as I often do, because it's always got really good stuff on there, and I saw something that was really interesting, at least to me. It has to do with Canadian TV viewership numbers. Now, I'm going to give you five seconds or so here. Just rack your brain. What do you think? What would be your guess for what was the most viewed show in Canada last week? And while you're thinking about that, and I'm sorry to keep talking over while you're trying to think, let me broaden it a bit. What type of show, what genre of show would you guess made up seven of the top ten shows in Canada last week. Let me bring in Bill Briou. He is the guy behind this website, Briou TV. He's the guy who brought this to my attention and made me want to talk about it. Bill, how are you tonight? I'm fine, Scott. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for doing this. Uh, to answer people who are now waiting with bated breath on the end of the edge of their seats, <laughs> the number one show, 911 followed by NCIS, CSI Vegas, Survivor, The Good Doctor, The Rookie, Blue Bloods, FBI, NCIS, Hawaii, and then CTV Evening News just around it with something of, you know, substance. Um, what is it about Canadians that we can't seem to get enough of American police shows? Boy, you're right. And this is the way it looks every week. And honestly, if you'd showed me this list five years ago, it would pretty much be the same titles on it. It's, uh, it's just, I think that... Um, you know, and you're and you're seeing about 1.8, 1.7 million people watching these shows across Canada, um, and it just seems habitual. You know, like I guess if you're an NCIS or a CSI or an FBI fan, um, you know what you're going to get. And um, the, I think part of it, Scott, is that older viewers uh, watch these shows, and older viewers watch television. It's it's shocking, really, if you were to see the median age of the viewers of some of these shows, it probably is close to 60. And mm. I think that has uh, a lot to do with it because young, younger people aren't watching broadcast as much. But then you've got a show like Survivor in that mix, which is number four last week, and um, it draws younger viewers. So um, it's, it's just a lot of shows that have been around along. You're right. So 911 is the new Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like it, people seem fascinated by first responders. Uh, you know, if they're firemen or policemen or doctors, that's what people are watching now on television. Well, I mean, if you include doctors in this one, yeah, you've got uh, all but two of the things that are in the top ten fall into that category. I mean, it just it's it, it's just remarkable to me that that category doesn't matter what. Give it the 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 uh, CSI or NCIS or FBI, whatever pre you know, prefix, and you could call it NCIS Baghdad, and people will tune in to watch. I mean, it doesn't matter what. NCIS Brampton, 
You know, you could have, uh, <laughs> we could go that far. No, but it, you're right. Like the, the only one off that list, there's law and order, right? I mean, and, and if you look on uh, network TV in the U.S. and Canada this fall, I think there's uh, eight hours just from one guy, Dick Wolf. Dick Wolf, yep. longtime producer of Law & Order, but he also does the FBI shows. He's got two of them on, two hours there. And the three Chicago shows, Chicago Fire, Med, and Police, they're popular in Canada too. They're not top 10, but they're top 30. And um, they're all ideas. Yeah, I'm waiting for the fourth one to come along, Chicago Long-Term Care Facility. Which, um, (laughs) yeah, maybe uh, maybe not as exciting, but fits with the demographic. No, I bet you it'll it'll catch on. We'll see it, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely um, curious. And um, but but I think that what's happening on broadcast television now, if it isn't a reality show like Survivor or The Masked Singer uh, or The Voice, say or something like that, it's one of these hour long procedurals and. I just think that um, if if you're uh, younger, perhaps you're not into those shows, then you're watching Disney Plus or Netflix or yeah, maybe um, you know, yeah. Well, let me get to that in just a second. The streaming things. I do want to talk to you about the streaming in a second, but just at the very bottom of this, you you put this list up there on your website. And once again, BrioTV B R I O U X dot TV for those who want to find this. Check there every week. It's great. Um, but at the very bottom, you write this. Once again, no Canadian scripted originals among the 30 most watched TV programs in English Canada. How come? I, every once in a while, we get a show that finds an audience. But boy, Bill, it seems like it, it, they're few and far between. How come we have such a hard time in this country coming up with stuff that people really want to see? Well, it, it's tough being this close to the States and all these big hits and you know, an, an episode of any of these on this list, NCIS or 911, costs about $6 million an episode uh, to make. And in Canada, you know, you're looking at budgets that might be $1.5 million. And so it's very hard to compete uh, because if you're sitting in Hamilton or Toronto watching TV, you're not judging how much is spent, but, you know, you, you are noticing probably a difference in costs and excitement. And these procedural shows, there's fire trucks and things blowing up all the time. So they're expensive. They have big casts. Um, now, in Canada, you know, you had a show Private Eyes this summer, which was Jason Priestley was in it, yep, and yep. a global show, and it ran for five seasons. 1.4 million Canadians were watching that show in the summer. It was like the number two, three, and one week it was the number one show in all of Canada. So Canadians will watch Canadian shows, but there's just so many American shows and the networks make a lot of money from simulcasting them. And so it's hard for Canadian show to break through and get on a schedule. But Bill, I left out a line, a word or two from what I read of yours. I, I, pre- I prefaced it. I didn't use the whole thing. Let me read the whole thing. Now what you said, once again, no CBC shows, no Canadian scripted originals among the 30 most watched TV programs in English Canada. We are told endlessly that we have to spend well over a billion dollars a year on the national broadcaster or else our culture is going to be lost. We're all going to just become Americans. If we don't have CBC shows on our television, we are going to lose our Canadianness. How do you defend that when it appears no, not that many people are watching those CBC shows? Well, certainly this list and uh, all, all this fall, the list of the top 30 shows in Canada, um, it, it just adds fuel to that fire. 
for, for folks who feel that we no longer need the CBC to be the eyes and ears of Canada, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the CBC has had a tough fall. They've lost uh, audience share, but so has CTV. So has, you know, uh, other networks. But, yeah, you know, Murdoch Mysteries at least used to be uh, 1.5 million or 1 million, and it's down as well this year a bit. Um, and a lot of the new shows CBC is making really low, you know, maybe two, 300,000 viewers. So um, in terms of that billion-dollar appropriation, though, you know, a lot of that money goes to French-language shows, uh, maybe Four or five hundred thousand is the English TV share of it. But mm. if you look at how shows perform in Quebec, it's a different story. You are getting for sure it is buck there. Yeah, for sure it is. And again, like, look, I'm not. Uh, this is not the time. We're not going to debate the CBC money right now. That's not the issue here. But th- my point simply is that's always the argument that if we don't have the CBC, we don't have a protection against Canadian culture. But if no one's watching that protection against Canadian culture, is it really protecting us? It's, it's, you know, I understand it, and it's a tough time to uh, make the other argument. I think if you look at a, a fairly popular show now that's Canadian-made is Hudson and Rex, and it's basically a cop and a dog, and that could come from Sweden. It could come from anywhere right now. You know, it's not a crazy original idea, although if you go back to The Littlest Hobo, Canadians have been telling it for a while. That's true. <laughs> um, you know, so, yeah. so it, it's it's... Hard if you just want to do a very regional Canadian show. What is that? And that's that's the struggle. And CBC's trying to, I guess, um, reach audiences that or, or tell stories, maybe more Aboriginal stories, or um, you know, and 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 those are, are are things that take a while to catch on with an audience. So um, you know, they're not just aping CSI and FBI. I guess you give them that. Mm. Yeah, and the other one was, of course, Family Feud Canada, which uh, I've I've never quite understood how that reflects our. <laughs> unless, unless at least every show there's one answer about poutine or the Mackenzie brothers. <laughs> um, not really sure. Anyway, uh, you mentioned about streaming services. I, I read a piece, and I want to just pull it up here while I can. Uh, it was uh, on the Conversation, the website, the uh, website, the Conversation, and it talks about Netflix and the amount of money that it's investing right now in entertainment and shows from other countries. Um, and like, like I'm, I'm one of those who is, you know, engaged now. I had no idea that Iceland and Denmark and Norway and all those Scandinavian countries had so much content they were putting out. It's all brooding and dark and very, you know, whatever, but it, it's fascinating stuff. This is, this, I had no idea the rest of the world was putting out the kind of stuff that they are. Yeah, and not just, um, you know, those countries you mentioned, but Japan and Korea. Like, you know, Canadians are now watching dramas produced um, from all over Asia, and that's Squid very game. different. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, even like reality shows, cooking shows, uh, some of them are fascinating, um, you know, that, that are from Japan or, or, you know, Vietnam or all kinds of places. Yes. So TV is borderless now, you know, really. It, it, it has become a borderless business, and that helps Canadian producers because they can sell Hudson and Rex or Private Eyes or Murdoch Mysteries is in 120 different territories all around the world. You can watch it back-to-back in France on a Monday night. Like, mm. uh, you know, so it, 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 it helps, and it also adds more variety for uh, Canadians here from other lands who, you know, it's a much more multicultural country. 
And that's partially what I was going to ask. And I don't even know if you know the answer to this question, but are we just ignoring or not paying as much attention to Canadian shows because somehow we're Canadian and we assume that they're not good. Whereas we'll watch something from Denmark or Iceland because it's really interesting. Like overseas, are they seeing Canadian content the way we're seeing this new stuff on Netflix that we hadn't seen before? Well, you know, it's an interesting question, Scott. I think that um, certainly Shit's Creek traveled all over the place and Kim's Convenience. There are shows that I think other countries admire. Um, the problem for Canada is we can't get our shows on our network schedules. That if you're in the business of making TV and, and CTV and Global have so many hours of FBI, CSI, Law & Order, that they only have room every season for one Jan. Or, you know, um, there's a new Family Law show on uh, Global now this season. Um, it's just not enough volume to, to you know, you sort of say that there's a trend in watching uh, shows like that. And, um, and and it's just a different ball game now. You know, in Canada, in broadcast, if there is an opening, it's going to go to a Blue Jays game or a Leafs game or, you know, sports, uh, which has got a big audience here, big appetite for Canadian teams. Um, it's hard to get scripted shows to break through if everybody's talking about WandaVision or, you know, something on Netflix, it's, it's really tough. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, something like Squid Game, which became, I think Netflix said it was their biggest viewed uh, series ever. And, and I mean, we'll assume they're saying that truthfully. I mean, you look at that and you go, okay, is there any reason we couldn't do that? And I mean, yes, I think it was probably had a huge budget. I assume so. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's not like we don't have the... Ed, the capacity we don't have the imagination we don't have the technology we could have done all that kind of stuff well you know they might have to come out with lobster uh, game or uh, <laughs> cod cod game from the east coast uh, I, you know it's it, 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 cbc tried to show this uh this started in august and ran for eight weeks i think uh and it was called race against the tide and sean majunder from 22 minutes was the host and the idea was that these teams of uh, sand sculptors came from all over the world. They had to build a big sculpture on, in the Bay of Fundy at low tide, and they had to be finished in five hours before the tide came in and, and wiped it all away. And people judged it, and then they it would destroy the statues. They'd do another round. It was kind of an ingenious idea, you know. But um, I think if that had been an American version of it, one of the two men teams making the sculptures would have been tied to a post out in the water and would have drowned if they didn't get it done in time, you know, there'd be an extra level of death involved or something. So I don't know what it would take. One, one last thing. And again, going back to this, uh, this piece in the conversation about Netflix and all buying up all these international shows, do, do you think that with all these people now viewing these shows from around the world, that we are getting a better, more multicultural, more, uh, a better view of the world and a broader view of the world or are so many of these shows so similar now, because a lot of them do seem very similar, that we're, it's just entertainment and, you know, we don't even know where they're coming from and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated question because I think that, um, to be honest, you know, Canadian television, the most popular choices, they're very white. They're very, um, you know, like I said, that these shows could have been the same list in 1990. Um they don't quite reflect uh, the multicultural society. People are talking about 
shows from all around the world. But like the the most popular, most watched shows every week, they're not really showing up uh, uh, titles that are from all these other lands. Now, we don't have the numbers for streaming services. They don't provide them. They don't share them. And they could very well be in the millions, and maybe that's where your argument lies, that people Mm. are looking the world over now, and, and that's fantastic. But you don't see it so much just looking at broadcast numbers. Bill Briou, you can find all this stuff and more things, uh, Briou TV, B-R-I-O-U-X dot TV. You can find it there uh, every week. He has the ratings, the rankings, the viewership up there. And every week, if you're a 911 fan, woo-hoo, you can celebrate every week when you see your show at the, t- at the top of the Canadian viewership <laughs> every single week. Bill, always appreciate you doing this. Thanks for taking time. Hey, my pleasure, Scott. Anytime. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.